I want to read to you a passage that we'll derive some preaching points from, but I want to read some things to you. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, and that simply means being made right with God. If you've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think there's going to be a lot of attention at this time of the year at, at what's under the tree. But I want to just bring a few things to you that Christ bought on a tree. Uh, our whole history could be summed up in two trees. The tree of choice in Genesis 3, where we said, I'd rather be autonomous than let God make the rules. It was a simple choice. It doesn't really seem that bad, does it? You're so used to living that way that it doesn't even seem offensive. God, we like paradise. I love the wife you gave me, and I'm not doing too bad. But if I'm given the choice that I can make the rules by which I will live or die, rather than to trust your legislation, I choose to be self-governing, autonomous, and I've been warned that it may cost me paradise. It may cost me Eden, but I'll take my chances. And we took the chance, and we've been living with sin, death, crime, pain, sickness, heartbreak, and we've been kicked out of Eden. We've been running. We've been hiding, and we're staggering through the centuries telling ourselves we're okay, telling ourselves we can find our own way, that we're just as good as God. We know what happiness is. We don't need some divine being telling us what makes one happy. We know how. We know how. And aren't we having fun? And yet we come to the human condition that so many times in the holiday season is heightened. How many homes represented in this place have been uh, represented by divorce? How many homes here have had wayward children that may still be wavered? How many homes here have buried mother, father, children, aunts, uncles, on and on. So we've made many trips to the cemetery. We've known many a home broken and last names changed. We are not in an unbroken world. We are in a broken world. I think of what we're living through. 
Sometimes we think, this is prosperous America. You only kill children in Syria, and only in Afghanistan can the Taliban kill children until Newtown can kill 20 innocent children under the age of six, and some of them were pulling eight to 11 bullets out of their body. Now, what we must do, we must do, we must control guns. Now, we must control human hearts. And you can't legislate that. It's the heart. The criminal will always have a gun. The killer will always find a gun. It's all the law-abiding people that will abide by the rule. Okay, we can't own guns, but the biggest problem we've got cannot be legislated. It's what's going on in our heart. And yet Galatians 3 says that God cursed his son upon a tree in order that he might be God's dam to hold back the deserved wrath of God. God is showing his wrath daily. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Verse 26, God is giving people up to their choices. Verse 28, God is giving them up to vile affections. Verse uh, 24, God is giving men up. And he's been giving us up ever since Genesis 3. You want your choice? I'll give you your choice. I'll let you have what you choose, but I'll take away life, peace, the acceptance of God, absence from shame, absence from guilt. You did it your way, and you must live with divine consequences. But Christ, on a tree offers you three gifts that I want to underscore to you today. The first thing he offers you, if you will come back to God and if you will receive Jesus Christ, you will have peace with God. Peace with God. Uh, as I was just thinking of new current events, I'm thinking of the nation rocking under this new town. People running to schools to protect their babies. Where can you hide in such a culture? Will your children go to school at all? Where can you hide when the hood is growing more gang members quicker than they can kill each other? When people in South America called Columbia are running the streets of New York, San Francisco, L.A., Detroit, and they're running it with a plant that the cartel can get across the border because folks love to snort coke. What can you do in a culture where the Taliban can invade any country in the Near East and turn it into havoc? What do we do when Palestine gets voted autonomy and voted self-governing by the UN and they applaud, yet they have no economy, yet they have no government, yet they're run by the Hamas, and yet they say the only way we would deal with Israel is annihilate them, and you call that peace. Wars going in Afghanistan. 1918, World War I, and the trenches, and the gas, and the trench mouth, and the feet ruined in dugout holes where rats were running wild all over the front in Europe. World War II. Korea in the 50s, Vietnam heating up in the 60s, 
desert storm in the 90s. Now, Iraq, we've got out, but there's no peace. Iran is on the verge of a nuclear weapon in which they are threatening to eliminate Israel or anybody else. North Korea, we've never got them to rein in their nuclear weapons. They've only now developed a missile that can launch it anywhere they want. Tell me where there's peace. The Bible says to the wicked, there is no peace, saith my God. There is no peace to men and women outside of Christ because you are in charge of nothing. Flood, wind, storm, disease, killers. There is no place to hide. No place to hide. And once you've done all your hiding, all of a sudden you start spitting up blood or passing it through your system. And all of a sudden you've got advanced cancer to the fourth stage and nobody warns you that cancer could grow in your body while you're packing your gun and locking your doors. Who told that disease it could get your body? It can take your body anytime God allows it to. There's no place to hide. And yet in the midst of this, God says, I've sent my son to offer you peace. And this is what Isaiah said. This is the way the peace would be bought. He said in Isaiah 53, 3, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or the punishment that brought our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. God said, I'll have to pulverize my own son with your deserved sins and punishment to ever make the peace treaty. And God did that for us in Christ. He let him become the peace offering. But the peace offering, Isaiah said, he won't be pretty. You won't desire him because it's going to be an ugly mess when sin gets through with him on the cross. But it was your sin that turned him into ugly. It was your deserved beating, your deserved curse. And he said, if this is the terms to bring my people peace, I will pay the penalty. And so today, we offer you peace with Jesus Christ through what he paid for. The peace treaty can be signed. He just needs you to sign on the line. I take you, Christ, peacemaker. He's the peacemaker. You're the warrior. You're the rebel. You and I, we're the rebels. He's the peacemaker at the cost of his own life. And then he goes on and he says something else in Romans that he offers you. He offers you purpose in living with hope. That's another thing that I uh, feel is absent in our culture. And why not? There's nothing to live for. Tell me what people are living for. I mean, what are their dreams? If you ask a 20-year-old, what makes you get up in the morning? Uh, what are your life's ambitions? Would you name them? Money, latest technology, a woman I could easily afford, one that won't get fat and won't talk back. Hey, I get a rap going. It's feeling it right now. Won't get fat, won't talk back. Where is she at? 
Come on, I got it. It's coming out. South Richmond is boiling. It's coming. Won't get fat. You know, hey, I like, please don't quote any of this to my wife. Uh, a purpose. I, I don't see. See, that's the greatest thing God did for me when he saved me young. By the time I was 15, I knew I'd be doing what I'm doing. I was talking with my grandchildren. I took my grandchildren out. You took five of them out. You can't run with grandchildren. You'll go broke. And uh, so we went out. We had breakfast. And I took my granddaughters to buy them some things. And uh, they were talking to me about school academics and what was their tough subjects and tough this or that. And, uh, you know, I thought, they said, well, Grandpa, how did you do? I said, just average. Lost hearing in the third grade. Went into speech therapy from third grade to the eighth grade. Became paralyzed when I was younger. All this stuff. All this stuff. I said, academics has always been hard work for me. Hard work. Well, why did you go so far? I love what I'm pursuing. I didn't get it because I'm an academic. I get it because I want to know God. And so I study books that help me know God. That was the only reason. And, uh, but I had a purpose. I got a purpose. And I think what he says here, they know that tribulation gives perseverance, and perseverance will prove your character. In the proven character, there's hope, and hope will not disappoint. On and on, to have a future with hope that you have positive expectation. I may be wrong, but I see so many, uh, so much waywardness, lack of burning ambition to be something, to make a difference. Anything besides make money, besides the American dream, to own your own house. And a lot of you young people, let me give you a little hint. Forget it. With this economy and with more taxes coming, you might just forget it. And your folks have already converted your bedroom into a library, so you're not moving on. Have some good friends. But you know what he says in this passage? There's no place in the Bible, I promise you a purpose for life without problems. I promise you a life free from any uh, tribulation. I'm talking to my pastor friend Stephen yesterday, and he breaks down. He said, please ask God to heal me. It's the first time he said that because he's been, let me just glorify him. Let me glorify him. But 15 pounds later and his hair falling out from chemo and radiation and uh, this kind of a rocky Balboa 63-year-old man losing weight, losing speech, becoming paralyzed. Stephen, you're God's child. You're God's man. Why didn't God promise immunity to a preacher and a Christian? Why aren't you immune from cancer? I don't know how to pray for you. Maybe God wants a quick promotion to heaven because it looks like death is on the horizon. Well, how can God do? How could Isaiah ever get sawn in two, be a prophet for God? And my end is they saw me in two while they put me in a log. Prosperity gospel is anathema gospel. My riches are in Christ. I'm not promised immunity from problems, immunity from health issues. I'm not. It's a lie. 
We, I, I hear three boys. He said, we're serving you, and we've been threatened to be burned up if we don't bow. And they said, heat her up. We're not going to bow. God has not promised you a Christianity without suffering, without pain, without heartache. I'm sorry. I wish I could promise it, but I'd be lying to you. I think of Hugh Latimer when they were burning him at the stake in England for preaching the gospel. And he was there with another man by the name of Ridley. And when they were being getting ready to ignite the uh, fire, Hugh Latimer, as the flames take hold, he speaks to Ridley, say, oh, Ridley, be the man. May we today light a torch in England that will make the gospel burn throughout this island until we see Christ. That was his last words. None of that whimpering, I went out. If we can be consumed on the altar of the cross and light a fire in England, what we need, church, is purpose in the middle of problems. We need hope in the middle of our suffering that there's something out in my future nobody can take away. I'm going to see Christ someday. I'm going to have a changed body someday. I'm going home someday. Who cares how I get out of this world? I know where I'm going to land. Do you? I don't care what you die in. You can die in a rich palace. You, that won't guarantee we have hope. We have a blessed hope that he said makes us happy. Looking for that blessed, that word blessed there, it means to be happy about it. The thought of Christ coming. You know, I remember when that used to terrify me. Because my hand was in the cookie jar, always. I was always in sin. Now, for 50 years, pull out any prophetic chart you've got. Tell me I'm going in the trib, out of the trib, not in the trib. When you get through, I'm saying, I still got a hope. He's coming back for me. And he's a lot bigger than MacArthur. And he's a lot more sure than MacArthur going back to the Philippines. He said, I shall return. The issue for you, are you living for a person who will come back and someday say, what did you do with what I gave you in the meantime? We have hope in the midst of our problems. We have a purpose. He says something else. Not only do we have peace with God, we have a purpose with hope at the end. We also are promised here we will be perpetually loved by God forever because of what Christ did on the cross. Look at when God began to love you. He says, the love of God was poured out in our heart, the believer. If you receive Christ, you get this. But notice when he started loving you. For while you were still helpless, and that means unable to help yourself, you had simply you had no power to contribute. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And the word ungodly, it just has an alpha privative, like Latin, in front of it. And sibios means to honor, to pay allegiance, to um, give something worthy of. And they simply put the alpha. No, we had nothing for God, no time for God. God was not in our thoughts. The way of peace we did not know. God was not in our thinking. 
except we were scared to death if you grew up around church of going to hell, but besides that, to hell with it. I'm going to live as I please. We were ungodly, even raised around Christianity. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what he's doing in verses 6 through 8? He is defining to you the kind of love that has been gushed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of love. God, you started loving me while helpless. You started loving me while ungodly. You started loving me while I was a sinner. And then he goes on to say, for while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. The word enemies there means actively hostile, even actively hating. Did you realize before you came to Christ, you not only not wanted him, but you hated God? I don't care how religious you were. I don't care how many church programs you sang in. I don't care that you quote John 3.16. If you told me when I was unsaved that I hated God, I'd call you a liar. I just don't want Jesus now. I'm not ready now. Don't tell me I hate God. I, tell me I'm a thief, and you'd be telling the truth. I love to steal. Didn't have the money anyway. And I loved to have a fight that I thought the odds of coming out ahead. I, I didn't mind that. There's a lot of stuff I like to do, but never put in the equation while I hated God. And he said, when you were an active enemy of mine in your mind and in your deeds, and the enemy is, you hated me, for you kept saying no to my best offer. You kept saying to my most beloved son, he is not good enough for me to turn from my sin to him. He will bore me to death. Is that what you thought about church? It's what I thought. Who wants to be a Christian? It's boring. You can't even get high. You're always sober when you're a Christian. There's no fun. And those who have known him the longest look the most bored. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, we're afraid you do. Too bad it's wore off. Well, I never got the kind that makes you happy. Well, you never got the real thing. It's joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. You can't contain it, honey. Well, listen to what he said. When I saved you, I told the Holy Spirit, gush like a spring, the love of God. Gush it all over their heart that I am going to love them forever, perpetually. For you see, I've already loved them at their worst. And according to Romans, I didn't spare my son when they were their worst. So there's nothing in the future that's going to make me relent. I've already paid the highest price. I spare not my son. There's no more, there's no more God can do for you than what he's done in Jesus Christ. If Christ is not enough, if Christ doesn't appeal to you, you're destined to be separated from God forever. 
There can be no place in heaven for someone that feels diseased around Jesus. Uh, it won't be a place for the Buddhists or Sindhuas or New Agers or any other. It's only a place for people who have had the love of God and the love for Christ shed abroad in their heart. Let me say, um, when I think about God loving you forever, uh, I think of uh, how many weddings I have had to do. I'd rather do funerals than weddings because the corpse can't argue. There's nothing expected. Just lie there, I hope. I've not had any come up while I was preaching. But these weddings that go like this, um, uh, just put it, put yourself there. I mean, when this couple are burning, and they're in you, and they can't keep their hands off of each other, they'll promise anything. Huh? I promise to always love you in health. In sickness, and I want to say, oh, you, you don't know what you're going to do. Because, baby, you're the one for me. Just don't get fat. Just don't do. You don't say that yet because you're waiting for the wedding night. And little lovemaking will make all your differences evaporate. How many of you know better? Could I get an amen? Could I get a witness? Could I get a witness? Promises. Promises. Tell me someone in this life that's loved you unconditionally. And maybe God in his grace gave you such a partner, and that is the miracle of marriage, that God can make us love each other enough to keep these promises. But it's no small thing. Thank God for your wife and husband that you've weathered so many storms together and that you do still love them. But I'm saying I have done some magnificent weddings, uh, and while we were eating the hors d'oeuvres, they were looking for a lawyer. And six months later, the big extravaganza wound up in divorce court, the tragedy of what we're living with. But God says this to you, come to me, come to me. But I'm dirty, I know it. But I'm weak, I know it. But I'm ungodly, I know it. But I'm a sinner, I know it. But I've hated you, I know it. Do you now take Jesus whom I offer on a tree for you, who has borne all of my wrath, all my punishment against all that's evil and wicked, weak and terrible about you, and I've had him pay for all of it? Would you take him? What do I have to do? Will you take him? Will you have him? What do I have to promise you? Will you promise you will come? If I take him, Lord, when will you quit? Do do you have any conditional clauses? If I get fat, if I fall into an old sin, if, if I show my weakness, when, Lord, when do you give up? You are entering into a love that will never give you up. For I have reached for you when I found you at your worst. You'll never be worse than what I'm finding you at right now. But, but uh, does it last till I fail? Oh, well, uh, that wouldn't be for over a day then, would it? Because you're going to fail within a day. 
Lord, it doesn't make sense. What's my part? Can you let me hold you? Could you let me love you? And not throw up your hands and say, take your love elsewhere. You've never let me in before. You've never let me love you before. Could you just put your hands down and I'll love you like your father never loved you. I'll love you like your mother never loved you. I'll love you like no woman or man's ever loved you. I'll love you more than the pimp loves you. I'll love you more than a drug dealer. I will bless you. All I ask is don't tell my son he died for nothing. And don't tell me I didn't go out of my way to show you I love you. I've come. Have you received him? Will you let him in? Or will you tell me you don't like the gift? Send it back. I want an exchange. I'd rather have a night of sin than a day with Jesus. It's that simple. Men do not come to Jesus because they love their sin more than they love the light. And he's the light. It's that simple. It's the garden all over. You'd rather be autonomous. You'd rather be your own man and go to hell than to become his bride and say, I want to be loved by you forever. And what is so beautiful, I must say this to you. In verse 5, the loving you there, I used to think it was, he gushed abroad my love for him. It's not that way in the original language. He goes on to illustrate the love is describing his love for me. And I have to say, when I feel my weakest, when I feel the most sinful, when I feel the biggest failure, and when I feel the most worthless, I realize there is a living spring that flows in me through the Spirit, and it's this voice Abba, Father, I'm loved. Isn't that true? You love me. You love me. Get away, Lord. I, you know I'm weak. You know I can't perform it. I can't kick the habit. I can't change the attitude. I don't know how to ask for forgiveness. I'm a mess. And God says, you've never caught me off by surprise. I knew that when I entered into this. I knew you'd bring nothing I needed and everything I hate, so I nailed it to the cross. And Jesus has taken everything ugly about you and everything that would bar you from heaven. This is what he bought on the tree. All the stuff under the tree is make-believe, nice. You may need it, not need it. You may return it, you may not, whatever. But what he bought on the tree, just peace with God, purpose in living, Purpose with a hope. And then the perpetual love of God. Did you know what? You will never be loved more nor less than God has already loved you. And he just tells you in Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. And you know when I feel the most unloved by God? It's like on a day, you say it's cloudy, uh, it seems dark, and you got all the drapes pulled and all the blinds turned. The sun didn't quit shining. You just learned how to block it out. What I find, I just got to get alone with God, get the Bible, maybe just get on my knees. And when I just get alone and start turning all the blinds the right way and pull the drapes back, the sun is shining like it's always been. I just had all the shades pulled. 
And some of you, it gets cold, it gets cold when your stubbornness, your sinfulness, and your hell-deserving bent, you've turned all the blinds and wonder why your heart feels cold. You need to turn the blinds. You need to repent. And what he told Ephesus, return to where you've fallen. Do you remember how you loved me at the first? Do you remember from whence you've fallen? Oh, do you remember? And so children of God, Jesus has nothing under the tree for you, but he's bought everything for you on a tree. Why don't you celebrate his peace? Celebrate purpose and celebrate the perpetual, unletting go love of God that no matter if I make my bed in hell, he says, thou art there. If I go to the high, I cannot escape such love forever. I have to say this. You are loved. You are loved. If you're a child of God, I don't care what your mom and dad did. I don't care what your siblings did. I don't care what marriage turned out. I don't care. I don't care. I can't control it. In a sinful world, anything can fall apart. But one thing will not fall apart. Neither heights nor depths, neither things present, things to come. Nothing, no nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us stand. Let us stand. Our Father, we pray for those who may not know Christ and they feel unloved. They feel like no one will be there through thick and thin. They've been disappointed. They've been hurt. They've been crushed. They've been bruised by all human love that has proven fickle and terminal. But you're not a fickle God. You are a God who loved us on Black Friday, who loved us next to the city jit dump of Jerusalem, who loved us on an old, my God became a curse for me. How can I ever thank you enough? Thank you for Calvary. We're not into Santa, and we're not fighting over was he born December 25th. We could care less about the day he came. He died, buried, rose again, and he's coming again. He's coming again. This is what holds our heart. So every day of the year is manger day, is Gethsemane day, is Black Friday day, is empty tomb day. For we celebrate your whole history to reach us poor, hell-deserving sinners and so as you loved us, and the cross has said it all. I would pray for you, Mr. Lady, whoever you are. If you've never received God's best, his love gift to you, it's a simple thing, as easy as receiving him, which is believing him. Believe that he's telling you the truth, that he paid for your sins, that he loves you, that he's here. That he brought you to the service. It's no accident. He could have, he cut off all opportunities, but he gave you this opportunity because he wants to talk to you. And I would say, if the Spirit of God is wooing you and drawing you, please don't turn him away. Say, I want you, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of running. 
I'm tired of hating. I'm tired of my sin. To thee I come. I come, O Lamb of God. I come. Do this in the heart. Save a lost one here, just as you save many of us that are here. Well, bless your name forever. And you know, Lord, I tell you all the time, if you get me to heaven, I'm never going to let you forget it. I'm going to praise you for all eternity that you love me at my worst and never let go, never let go. We bless your name forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Act like you're saved if you are.